Hello, I'm Jason Solomon and welcome, bienvenue, to my Seen Any Good Films Lately Cannes Special Podcast 2022. I'm here on the Côte d'Azur, in and out of the Palais, up and down the Croisette, with some major Cannes stars and films causing a buzz. I'm not the kind of directors who make film in order to please the audience. I'm just trying to make my films as sincerely, as entirely as possible. And I think that if you don't have courage as an actor, you cannot go through it. I've got top can talents on this first show from the festival, and I'll bring you a few more over the course of the rest of it. But things kicked off here on Tuesday, May the 17th, with a French zombie comedy called Coupé, or Final Cut, from director Michel Haznavicius and starring his wife, Berenice Bejot. They're the team behind the Oscar winner, the artist, of course. Uh, it also starred Romain Duris, and it's a film farce about what a farce filmmaking can be. And it starts by showing us a rather chaotic half hour of a one-take zombie movie, a movie you're not quite sure you can really watch all of, to be honest. And then it rewinds to tell the story of how that movie was conceived and then just about shot. It's pretty funny when you realise why it was so bad for the first 30 minutes, though that does require you to sit through those first 30 minutes and wait for the rewards, which are fairly mixed, including a running diarrhoea gag I could have done without. But hey, they made the film, and that's what it's all about around these parts, and, as we're about to find out, it's bloody hard work. Yeah, Juliette Binoche is one of the queens of Cannes. She's a rare holder of all three major awards at Cannes, Venice and Berlin, as well as an Oscar for the English patient. She was at Cannes last year with a film called Between Two Worlds, which is coming out now in the UK. And in it, we watch her scrubbing floors and cleaning windows, emptying bins and changing beds on a ferry boat as a cleaner through the night. Although really, she's an undercover journalist in that, in a northern French industrial port town. The original title of the movie in French is Ouistreham, which is the, the place uh, in, in northern France. And it's a character that Binoche is playing who's based on the real-life Florence Aubena, who investigated for a book how precarious life was becoming for Europe's low-paid gig economy workers. So that's what the film's about. But... Surrounded by real-life non-professional actors in this social realist setting, directed by Emmanuel Carrere, Binoche just glows brighter than them. I mean, she just does. Uh, for all her immersive acting abilities, you just know it's Juliette Binoche. So I wonder, when I met her on Zoom, she was in Paris in a five-star hotel when I was talking to her down the Zoom, I wondered, Miss Binoche, if you've ever actually had a dirty job in your life. When you have to deal with an actor or a director that is very difficult, perverse. Uh, it happens sometimes, and that's the worst because you've got to open up, you've got to go through it, you know, because you're opening your soul, you're opening your, your being. So when you get shit, it's hard. I also asked Labinoche what conditions she's worked under that make her feel like it's so tough being an actress. As actors, I'm sorry, but we go into the coldest weathers, the hottest weather. We have to learn lines and lines, going to the worst emotions as the highest emotions. I mean, we go into places like we have to be sponges to give everything we have. I mean, it's not a safe place to be. It's a courageous place to be. And so, we, you know, uh, we should in any places, 
it could be in the street on the and you know it could be any places you know i think that if you don't have courage as an actor you cannot you ca you cannot go through it prolific as ever she's been mixing blockbusters with domestic and international indie titles and i'm wondering if she's feeling the change of pace of filmmaking these days i love both doing it quickly it brings something out of you that you're not as conscious mm -hmm. but you have the instinct the intuition that it's where you need to go at the same time it's a lot of pressure on you it's exhausting because especially i'm thinking of the film i just did in um, in mississippi in us mississippi uh, where i was doing a i was playing a truck driver and it was such a condensed film also we, we were shooting at night then we shot again at day and then again at night i mean it went back and forth like five times and when you're shooting almost every day it's really something mm -hmm. and also the pressure that it it, it 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 with the heat with the with the mosquitoes with the the lack of money you you feel that you're always on the edge that an accident is going to happen that something is really wobbling but yet you're doing it and it gives you strength and gives a, a certain power i'd heard that she was responsible for the non-professional actors under the direction of emmanuel carrere but that binoche herself kind of took charge is that right i remember there was a, a moment in a scene we were on the boat it was a lot of there was a lot of wind it was very cold we were in the middle of the night and we with Hélène who was playing Christelle there was that scene that was very important for the film I could feel that it was hard for her because she she you know as actors we tend to put our feelings on the side or use them in order to really go for what we need to do for the film and and I could feel that her resistance when, you know, when she felt she had enough, she was too cold or she didn't want to go back to it because it's too painful because of the emotional uh, stage being so, you know, demanding that she had a little, she didn't have a, 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 a big resistant field. And that's where I, I, I was worried about that she could say, I quit. I don't want to do it anymore. So I was trying to make sure that, you know, we go back to get warm, to go back to it and get the emotion, you know, to push her into places where she could react with. Between Two Worlds is very moving, uh, but it's also very political, of course. I wonder if how you feel about taking a role that is very divorced from your own starry reality in order to make a point. I felt like I'm observing and I'm trying to get the sense of it so that I have some kind of consciousness when I'm in front of the camera and I have to recreate life into a form that's going to tell the truth of what I felt. It is not the same. It is not the same reality because I'm not living that life. But the truth of the feeling is real, is, is, is the closest I can go uh, to those people in order for the audience to connect. So we're there as actors to help making recognition and, uh, uh, and um, linking, uh, linking consciousness, linking inside of us between what we feel, our thoughts, 
our bodies, our, you know, and, and I think movies have that power of, of changing people. It can happen. With so much going on in the world of cinema, she seems such a movie star to me, and yet she's even doing uh, HBO stuff on the telly with Colin Firth in The Staircase. I'm wondering what more movies hold for you, Juliette Binoche, and what the future of cinema can still be. My big ambition uh, in pushing and making this film is for people have the potential, the possibility of rehumanizing um, our uh, society, our habits. And, and it doesn't take a lot. And I think it would make a huge difference uh, it, with a word, with a look, with a smile, with a thank you, with a uh, thank you, you here, you know, it, because we need that service. And it's just to slow down in the consciousness, not being taken away uh, with your own, you know, uh, 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 rhythm of selfish rhythm of saying that, you know, you're, you can't stop your life because it's it's like you're on a train. You, you can slow down a little bit. Just just a few seconds would make a, a difference. That's Juliette Benoche. Between Two Worlds is out in the UK next week. And Benoche herself is being much buzzed here in Cannes on a project in which she's reuniting with Ray Fiennes, her English patient co-star, on a film called The Return, a modern-day reworking of The Odyssey, says here, to be directed by Uberto Pasolini, the man who produced the full Monty. So Binoche is still very much at the forefront of Cannes. Now, one of my favourite directors in all of Europe has to be Mia Hansen Love, whose work I fell in love with, there's no other description for it really, when she had me in tears here watching The Father of My Children in 2009 in the Uncertain Regards section. Since then, she's had films in Berlin such as Goodbye, First Love, capturing the dizzy feelings of everyday life, while her autobiographical Paris set film Eden, about the 90s French touch music scene and DJs, is one of the great soundtracks and movies about the clubbing scene. She was here at Cannes last July with Bergman Island, about a filmmaking couple played by Vicky Creeps and Tim Roth, who retreat to the Baltic island of Farur where Bergman used to work and shoot and, and live and made films like Scenes of a Marriage and Persona, and which has become a tourist destination for cinephiles. Bergman Island's pretty self-referential, so I did start by asking Mia Hansen-Love if she felt that the troubles of two filmmakers sequestered on a filmmaker's island might be a little bit niche, a bit in a bubble, and why anyone might care about that. I'm, I'm never sure that people will give a shit, you know, but I... I'm not the kind of directors who make film in order to please the audience. I'm just trying to make my films as as as, as sincerely as entirely um, as possible, and with the hope that at the end I will go deep deep enough in in inside uh, myself or my experiences of life to reach some kind of universality. But of course, you never know, you're never sure about this, but I, I don't think the best way to reach universality is to aim for aim for universality. I mean, I think, I think you have to be yourself and you have to go deep into you, yourself. That's at least that's the only way I know how to write films and then just hope that as many people as possible will 
find something that talks to them. But to me, it's about uh, any relationship too. I mean, it's about what it is to live with somebody else, uh, to have the, maybe to have the same job or the same vocation and, and, and try to find the right balance be, between, between the kind of complicity that you can have with somebody who's life you've been sharing for many years and at the same time you need to have your own space your own you know private garden and 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 how 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 can you find the right balance between both and it's kind of impossible and i think all people who have experienced uh relationships know about this in one way or another yes that's the perfect answer i i i said it to to get that answer which is perfect I, I was fascinated I am fascinated to know, know how people work because you know I have a wife too and we, we we don't do the same job but we work in we've all just now been living in exactly the same house for two years while our partner do the same job and sometimes you think I didn't know that's how she was at work you know mm-hmm. I didn't know that how she is necessarily so I think we learn a lot about each other in in this time and your film when I saw it last can in last July it was just almost the end of lockdown it was a little break in between the, the lockdowns yeah. and it, it it felt like a film that was referring you found the universality even more because it, it was referring to people who were kind of cloistered together yeah, off that, island. it's true that that uh, there is something weird when I look back at the film now is I realize that when I wrote it of course long before uh, lockdown it it <laughs> it was telling about a life that very few people have, like where you just stay, uh, you know, in one place for uh, in the solitary, we live in a solitary way, isolated, and you just like enjoy the nature and the writing and and don't see much people. And actually it becomes like, everybody's life for for the next for the next two years or something i mean in different ways and not uh, of course not uh, everybody could enjoy uh, staying in this kind of places during lockdown not me neither actually and i regret it for a lot after experiencing all the covid uh, time but it's true that our perspective on that kind of way of living must probably have changed uh, since because of lockdown did you get close to feeling how Bergman felt while he was writing what's the spirit of Bergman that you get from being in that spot and how did that affect your movie I've I've, I've never felt so close to believing in ghosts and while I was staying there I actually I don't want to sound pretentious when I say that because it has nothing to do with with that but I I um I've, I've you, you feel anybody who goes there I think feels close to him in one way or another because you feel his presence everywhere he, I mean, the houses, and not only the houses, but the old place seems haunted. Unless you really, unless if you don't care at all, I guess, about him and his work, maybe and then you, well, yes, well, there are a few tourists who come there and they don't give a shit about Bergman, well, you know, nice but beach, for anybody. <laughs> Sorry, it's a nice beach. Whatever you go for, yeah, of course. But those people don't, you know, don't feel Bergman's presence on the beach, obviously. But for anybody who goes there with some interest for his work and who he was in mind, it's uh, it's uh, it's it's an incredibly intense experience. And but what what struck me and and what made me, I guess, enjoy. Uh, the stays, the different stays that I had there so much was the fact that it was never a burden. It was never 
a source of uh, anxiety and it could have i mean i i I think I felt more anxious about, you know, uh, Bergman's films. Like, I, I can feel anxiety about Bergman's whole existence in general. When I'm in Paris, if I watch any of his films, like in general, but it never happened to me when I was there. Mm -hmm. For some reasons, while I was on Foreux is like the moments where I never got, I could be scared, like, because you can always be scared of ghosts, but I was never... I never felt inhibited by, by, by Bergman's genius. I felt his genius, I felt, but I also felt his loneliness. And to me, um, I felt his integrity and his choice of living there in such a remote place. And just like his, his freedom, the fact that he was able during his whole career throughout you know, his whole life as a director to preserve that solitude, that independence in terms of an artist. There are so few, few directors managed to do that. I mean, he made, he wrote all of his films and he did that until the very end of his life. And he just made films about the one things that he wanted to care about and he didn't give a shit of what other people thought about but, them. Do you admire this, Mia? Or do you think it's I impractical? Do. You want to do this yourself though? You can't, but of course I admire this, it's my God. I mean, come on. <laughs> but you want to do it yourself? You know, when you meet your hero, you, get, you you want to be like your hero. You can't yes. go and live on an island of forever. Of course I want to. Of course I want to. <laughs> you can't, I you've got to come to Cannes. I, of course, I would, I would, I, I would like to be like him, but I can't, I, I can't just because I have another kind of life and I have kids and I, you know, I can't live like him. And and himself, he, he when he decided to actually live there, he was already an old man, and before that, he had a life in Stockholm and he he was traveling. It's not like, it's not like he lived like this during his whole life, but he, but he. He, there is this integrity about him and the, and the fact that he never made any compromises, artistically speaking, that makes him, to me, one of the directors uh, for, among other reasons, also because of the films themselves, of course, and the themes of the film that speak to me in many ways. But I mean, the way he practiced, the way he was a director and this 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 the strength about him, this, this moral, uh, artistic uh, strength, I admire more than anything, of course. Although I think your films are very different to his. I mean, they have a moral, they they have are. A moral and intellectual rectitude and, and rigour, of course, but you have a, a, a lightness of touch that uh, he doesn't have. They are totally different and I never try to imitate him and it would be ridiculous. I mean... I have another story, another life. I'm a woman living in, you know, 2022. I mean, it, it, it wouldn't make sense to try to imitate his work in any way. But I, I, you, I think you, you can be a huge admirer of a director, of an artist, and, and have just few in common in terms of what your own work is about. But I still... I still hope, even though in my very uh, modest uh, um, way, uh, I, 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 I try to at least uh, uh, preserve uh, integrity as well in my way of working. And I, 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 I don't pretend I have the same kind of uh, strength and, and uh, creative power than he had, of course, but I at least uh, um, I have uh, this awareness of the importance of, of uh, of being un uncompromised uh, in my way of of of, uh, of of being a director. How different was it, is un beau matin, one fine morning uh, that you have in Cannes this year, uh, in the next few days? How different was that? Was there a sort of element of 
sort of clearing uh, away the Bergman stuff with this or did or, or are the two related in some way do you think? I think all my films are very related yeah. uh, and they are all related to all the others in some way so I, I could I, I, I could mention like mm, I could make bridge how do you say like between Abu Matin and almost all of my films, uh, uh, and which are all, I think, equally personal, but in different ways. But but it's it's pretty much the opposite in a way because uh, Bergman Island had to do with my uh, desire to escape uh, my own, you know, private territory in a way. Even though the films can seem uh, kind of autobiographical, it's it's just a reinvention of an autobiography. But it's not it's not literally autobiographic. It's I'm still you know imagining things that never happened, and 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 my desire to do Bergman Island had to do with with you know the need to escape France and Paris and my own life in some ways. Mm. Uh, and reinvent myself in another territory and also to spend time in <laughs> in the country that that also had to do with that i think in in some ways whereas uh, Abu, uh one fine morning abu matin is pretty much <clears throat> the opposite because here i i i feel like I, I i needed to face reality as it was for me during uh that uh, uh, the last years and i uh, so um, I would say that Bergman Island uh, was dealing with my dreams in a way, whereas uh, One Fine Morning uh, is dealing uh, much more frontally with um, a rea the reality of mine. A tough, a very tough reality, a very beautiful reality in some states, but a very tough, very sort of everything happens to, to, to Leah Sidhu's character. You know, she has to deal with her parents, she has to deal with her her love life, everything is coming in uh, at once to this to this woman. She has to deal with quite a lot. There was um, two films here in Cannes last year, uh, Tout s'est bien passé of Francois Ozon, Everything Went Fine, and The Vortex of Gaspar Noé, which dealt mm. with dementia. And then I see it again in your film and assisted suicide. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, 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 it's clearly one of the issues of our time. I don't think I've ever seen it dealt with. Mm. Quite so much by our generation of filmmakers. I mean, Francois is a bit older than than you, perhaps, and 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 Gaspar. But it seems to be something that we are dealing with. And we have the father that Florian Zeller uh, mm. made with Anthony Hopkins. I don't know. It's a, it's a new thing for me in cinema. It, 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 it's, yeah, it's maybe a... maybe it is. Well, maybe because it's not so sexy and <laughs> cinema didn't want to deal with. I mean, maybe before our times, the cinema would rather deal with you know, more glamorous issues. And that's not, of course, a very glamorous uh, one. And, and maybe we we dare facing this kind of issues more now in films, like we can, we're not afraid of speaking of anything anymore, which is a good thing, I guess. But it's also true that more and more people face that, I guess, uh, because populations are getting older, maybe. And uh, uh, it's just being. I, I realized after writing a film that that was uh, dealing with 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 this that and talking about this. I realized like around me, everybody, uh, not everybody had had, had been through this. Uh, fortunately, but a lot of people, in one way or another, have to co get confronted with the with, with 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 you know the issues of the nursing hospital. I yeah. don't know how you say and 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 how painful it is to 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 have to to get your parents you know in these kind of places uh, uh 
um, and, and, and to see, to see uh, parents getting uh, sick and living in these places that are somewhere between life and death. I mean, places that nobody really can uh, want their parents to go to. Um, and I realized that, that uh, around me, almost everybody <laughs> at one point, uh, maybe not their parents, maybe their grandparents, but it's, it's, it's really become part of our modern lives, I think. I think you're right. Yeah, in fact, my favorite scene, I mean, there are many favorite scenes in Ample Matter, but the bit where Leah Sidhu uh, is trying to do her job, trying to interpret, uh, mm. and she breaks down because there's just so much going on in her head to do with yeah. her father and to do with her yeah. lover. And the second she just like, she mucks up the translation. And yeah. that, that, that's, that's kind of where the drama happened for me. She's like, oh, fuck this, I can't deal, I can't deal with this anymore. <laughs> yeah, where well, everything seems so easy for her until now when she translates and at some point she, yeah, she loses track. Yeah. What was the first film you ever saw at the cinema, Mia? I don't know, but I have I have strongest memories of my first watching tapes, videotapes, uh, at my grandmother's or at my parents. That my my strongest memories actually of films uh, uh, have to do with 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 that. I think. What was the one that you played over and over and over again? I think the Hitchcock films. I don't know exactly which one, but there were like a couple of Hitchcock tape videotapes uh, at my grandmother's uh, place, and she had only a few films at home, so I would watch them again and again. And uh, I think they have actually influenced me uh, even more deeply, more deeply than I thought. The other the, the, the other day, I watched uh, uh, one of the Hitchcock films that I had never seen again since childhood. And uh, how is it called in English? The one with Kisera Serra? Um, the Man Who Knew Too Much. The Man Who Knew Too Much. The second one, yeah. It's pretty extraordinary. And, um, and you know, that song Kisera Serra, I, I actually used in, in my second feature, Father of My Children, uh, the Doris Lessing song. But I, when I wrote it and used uh, part of my children and used the song, I had not seen what I had not watched the film again, and it was extremely disturbing in some ways to see it again and confront my memory of the film with the reality of it. And I realized that uh, how much uh, it it uh, it had been part of me somehow. This uh, this whole uh, scene with the song where the mother uh, finds her son again through through that song. I mean, it's such a extraordinary moment. Doris Day in the, the, the sort of red, well, pink dress. It is a sort of yeah, she's at the yeah. Piano, yeah. <laughs> L'homme qui en savait trop, c'est ça, uh, Love Your Savetro, exactly. Yeah. I love how we change the names, uh, yeah. the, the, the titles. Have you ever fallen in love at the cinema? I always go back to this. I feel uh, a little bit uh, obsessive about it, but I think uh, maybe um, as a teenager, watching uh, Michael Mann's uh, Heat made me uh, fall in love both at the time with Robert De Niro and Al Pacino. <laughs> At the same time. <laughs> yeah, well. both of them. <laughs> and I think I, I enjoyed that experience a lot. And I, I remember crying a lot also. And uh, strangely enough, I remember it, it identifying myself to this film at, that, at, at, at this time. Well, it's a, it's a brilliant film. Uh, yeah. You can, you can, you yeah. Can so melancholic. <laughs> What's your favorite musical moment in a film? Oh la la, it's, oh la la. it's a difficult question you're asking to me. I, 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 uh, I'm not even sure. Uh, the, the, the thing that comes to me right now without, you know, I don't 
analyze yeah, yeah, and respond uh, spontaneously. And I don't even know what is the music. Uh, but in, I think it's there is something I find extraordinary uh, about music in uh, Bresson's film. Uh, was it Le Diable, probablement? The Diable, the Devil, probably? Mm-hmm. But there is this, I think it's in that film, there is this scene, this moment where the character who has planned to commit suicide and is about to do it, and he walks in the street and he just stops. He, he walks in the streets and he just, from the window of an apartment that we don't see inside, mm-hmm. there is a music coming out. Somebody's listening to music. And I don't remember if it was Schubert or mm-hmm. who it was, but it just, for a moment, it just slows down and listens a bit to the music. And then he continues his walk. And, um, I, I would need to analyze it to tell you better about it, but for some reason here it says something about what music is in our lives and the way it it uh, gives us connects us to the sublime. Sublime. Yeah. I think it says it in the most simple and powerful way. I, and Mia Hansen loves playful, smart, pretentiously perfect Bergman Island is out in UK cinemas on June the 3rd. OK, what else have I seen here at Cannes these first few days? I liked Armageddon Time, an 80s set family drama in Queens, directed by James Gray and starring an excellent Anne Hathaway as the mum and Jeremy Strong as the sort of working class, lower middle class family uh, and a story about their kid who befriends a black boy at school which sort of upsets them and makes them think they should sort of send him to private school if they can afford it and it also stars Anthony Hopkins as the grandpa which was a bit odd because Anthony Hopkins speaking a bit of Yiddish doesn't quite sound right and he doesn't sound very New York Jewish at all bit of odd casting that really uh, I like the film still, but I I didn't think Anthony Hopkins was the right casting for that at all, even though I love Anthony Hopkins, as you know, very much. Brilliant in The Father. Not so good here, like a hammy, kosher person. Anyway, there was an extraordinary film called E.O., which is a Polish donkey movie, henceforth referred to only as such. Uh, it's bonkers donkey movie. Uh, a little donkey gets shoved around and go, goes from a circus and then sort of gets sold into cattle and becomes like a beast of bird and then watches a football match and then might get sold for salami meat. Anyway, it's totally unusual. Uh, I suppose there's a comparison to Andrea Arnold's film Cow, uh, but it, this is it's much more beautiful in its way. Always strange, some hallucinogenic scenes, some kind of changing of the frame, really kind of punkish avant-garde style cinema by Polish director Jerzy Skolomowski. Uh, haunting images and some great music as well. It's called EO. And back in the UK you've got the AHA movie coming out. AHA the movie. It's a documentary by Thomas Robson about the Norwegian Take On Me band. So I spoke to Thomas about it a while back. You might remember you saw the you heard the show uh, when he was promoting the worst person in the world, the wonderful comedy that took Cam by storm last year with uh, Renata Rainsvi in the lead, um, and he co-produced that film. But he's directed Aha, uh, the movie. So I spoke to him about that, uh, and let's catch up with him and find out more about making a film about Norway's biggest band, most famous people. Aha. 
uh, the effect that making Take On Me had on those handsome young chaps. I would say because of the music, I think that, you know, you can have a great video uh, and you can have great looks. Uh, uh, but in the end, you know, uh, when the years passed, you, uh, you know, the music has to be strong and has to be something that doesn't uh, get old mm -hmm. and feels dated or whatever. And I think the band is quite underestimated as as musicians and as great songwriters because uh, Take On Me is, of course, a signature song that everybody knows, but they have so many other great songs and and. I'm not sure why. It might be because they were from Norway or it might be because they were too good looking, maybe because the name is a bit, is a bit too obvious. I don't know. Something uh, made it really difficult for them to be kind of a credible band. Yeah. And uh, they tried, you know, they tried to go rock. They tried to go uh, more depressive. <laughs> they got back after a split and became more of a of a you know grown up band for you know music for grown ups mm. which worked okay but uh, but they've never you know when they talk about the great music of the 80s aha never mentioned and i think that's unfair <laughs> i think that but they the, are now I mean, yeah but not in the same way I if you see still sing my kids are like Adam, how do you know this because it's sampled yeah. many times and this, that song definitely. I hope the film can can make people realize that uh, there's much more to a heart than only that song. So many other great songs. Although, as a producer and director, you make decisions. You spend quite a lot of time on on <laughs> Take On Me. It is yeah. one of the great pop songs. You say it's one of the biggest hits of all time. Yeah, and it, again, you know, again, the Martians. You know, when they come, you know, you can't you can't say everybody has heard Take On Me. So we don't go into that. You have to go into that because that was the the thing that made everything happen. And the and Martians will probably be humming. Du, 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 du. They <laughs> exactly. know it's floating around in space on Voyager. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So there you go. There's loads to enjoy at the movies, either here at the Epicentre in Cannes or back home, where you might also fancy Scottish Weepy, the road dance set on the Isle of Lewis, all very melodramatic and stormy and old-fashioned in a Sunday matinee sort of way. It's all right, actually, with Mark Gatiss. I will be reporting again next week and giving you more guests and more reviews and uh, maybe I'll get some uh, reaction from other critics here on the Quasette and I'll let you know how I've got on at my first Cannes as a producer, it's going all right, but it's very difficult to do the two gigs I'm learning. You know, you've either got to be the journalist and the critic or you've got to go around being a producer and drumming up interest in your movies and sort of making connections. And the two are quite different worlds. So whilst it's my 25th can as a reporter and critic, it's also my first can in many ways. And I feel a bit anew. I've had sort of a strange existential moments, shedding of the skin of the old and trying to fit into the new. By the time I speak to you next week, I shall be fully immersed in my new role, but not enough to forget about you and not give you another seen any good films lately from Cannes. Until then, au revoir et merci.